Hi, this is Into the Greenwood. I'm Kathy. And I'm Rosie. And today we're covering the story and lore around a creature called the Boneless <laughs> from Shetland. <laughs> also known sometimes as the Frittening. Yeah. Um, bit of a departure from our normal. We don't usually do horror-esque mm. stories. But it's not really that scary. I think if it was, we couldn't actually be covering it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So we talk um, a little bit about um, the fear of the unknown and general human nature <laughs> surrounding that kind of topic. Yeah, the different uh, morals and human instincts that come into play with horror stories and fear. Yeah. So, we hope you enjoy. Okay, so I'm going to start by just um, sort of paraphrasing a version of the story that uh, I found on the website scaryforkids.com <laughs> and... Basically, there's just there was a lot of issues like finding sources for this, and normally I like to either sort of bring together different versions of the stories I find, or um, if there's like a sort of public domain version to use that. Um, but yeah, this is all I have. Mm -hmm. <laughs> okay, so our, our story starts when you know once upon a time there was a man just sitting quietly in his house of an evening, reading the Bible by candlelight um, in Shetland. And when he's kind of just yanked quite unpleasantly back into the moment by a sickening splat. Um, sort of almost sounded as if someone had hurled just a big glob of raw, wet meat at his front door, which is lovely. Um, so he leaps up, Bible in hand, and peers out of the door. And the only thing to be seen um, was a puddle of slime on the front porch, just glistening in the moonlight. So nice. Yeah. And the slime formed a trail, leading away from the house and off into the darkness. And it was then that he saw movement in the shadows, something white and shapeless drifting in the gloom. Still clutching his Bible, he um, took up an axe from the woodpile and set off in pursuit. And the trail of slime led him all the way to the cliffs overlooking the sea. And there was the thing. <laughs> Just kind of midway slipping over the cliffside into the ocean. But before it could, he hurled his axe right at it and hit it square on. And the axe just kind of stuck in it. Um... And he's like, well, all right then. So he like <laughs> runs away, <laughs> runs away to get help from other people. And when they good all man, come, when they all come back, um, it's still there. And they're all looking at it, but none of them can really say exactly what it is. And I guess they're afraid that it'll just kind of come back to life or something or that it's not dead. So they decide to bury it. And they don't want to touch it or move it or disturb it. So they just dig a big trench around it and fling the earth from the trench on top of it. Mm -hmm. And and that, and that so that was that dealt with. Or so they thought. <laughs> um, 
Um, the next day, upon hearing the stories of the night before, the man's son was just overwhelmed with curiosity. Mm-hmm. So he slipped away from the adults down to the cliffs where he jumped the trench and began to dig in the earth with his hands. Um, and then came from below the earth like an eerie, unearthly light and a thick, damp fog that billowed up around him. So the boy lurched away as the kind of boneless creature slithers from the earth up towards him. Uh, he turns and he turned and like fled for home but the thing is just was just on him in a heartbeat it slid up and around him enveloping him like a heavy sodden blanket he felt like he might suffocate and it was freezing as well and there was this thick stench of rot mm-hmm. it started to constrict around him and began dragging him towards the edge of the cliff and he was so afraid that he could barely scream and he scrabbled he's like scrabbling at the earth and he was just trying to catch hold of something but he can't and he could hear kind of the crash of the waves below and he knows he's about to go over the cliff and he musters the strength to pray and he says um now i lay me down to sleep i pray the lord my soul to keep if i should die before i wake i pray the lord my soul to take And just like that, the thing released him and slipped off the cliff and into the ocean below. Mm. And that's the end of that. (laughs) So, a lovely story. Also, sorry about my tenses. I was like all over it with the present and past tense, but it doesn't matter. (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's called storytelling. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, So that's the story. And... Uh, before we go on, I just want to kind of round up with uh, some other descriptions of maybe encounters with this creature that mm-hmm. um, is known as the boneless or the frittening, I think, sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we can get into it. So, um, basically, it always appears at night and no one who sees it can ever properly describe it. Um, it gets descriptions like a sort of slimy cloud of mist or a big jellyfish or like a sort of tangle of wet wool and maybe the strangest one is it looks like a limbless headless human torso and maybe the people who could describe it were the lucky ones because others were just driven completely mad by terror at the sight of it Mm -hmm. And then, <laughs> and then to follow up, I've got. Um, I just want to read a passage from Briggs' uh, Dictionary of Fairies mm-hmm. about it. So this says, uh, "Boneless, one in the famous lists of spirits given by Reginald Scott as those that used to fright his grandmother's maids." There is no further information about him by Scott, but one presumes that he was one of those formless things whose chief function it was to terrify travellers or children in their beds, not unlike... Okay, this, um... This, like... I got I got this from, like, an online version of the book that has some formatting issues. So it says, like, not unlike the Shetland, it... And then stops. Lately, however, Ruth Tongue has disinterred a story to her told to her in 1916 about a peddler 
going to the Oxford market by night and later still she picked up an account of a policeman uh, who had to be moved to another district uh, after a terrifying encounter with Boneless as he bicycled along his round one night. The report was confirmed to her by Mr H. Kyle and by Colonel Luttrell. The apparition was later described to Ruth Tongue by the policeman's sister-in-law. He told her it was darksome over above Putcham Rise and the tide was in far below. He could hear it playing down two hill fields and then his lamp lit up a white summit across the road. It weren't fog, it were alive, kind of woolly like a cloud or a wet sheep and it slid up all over him on his bike and was gone rolling and bowling and stretching out and in up the Perry Farm Road. It was so sudden he didn't fall off, but he says it was like a wet heavy blanket and so terrible cold and smelled stale. The thing in the Oxford story is expressly called boneless and is described as a shapeless summit as slides behind and alongside in the dark night. Many's have died of fright through his following on. They can't never tell about him except lies a big shadow and shapeless. Uh, and that's that's what I have on it <laughs> as far as like uh, original stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so the story at the start is apparently one that was recorded by uh, Jessie Saxby in her book, book Shetland Traditional Lore. So we thought we could talk a little bit about Jessie Saxby. Uh, yes, Jessie Saxby um, from kind of mid 1800s um and she actually died in 1940 so you know relatively recent um so she was an author and a a folklorist born in shetland and she seems to have written quite a bit about her childhood there and she also wrote kind of fairy tale folk tale stories um, specifically of the boys' adventure variety, so I think kind of like Treasure Island and that kind of thing. But um, apparently, admittedly, this was all according to her Wikipedia page. Um, her very kind of unique selling point, should we say, is that she updated these stories and set them in Shetland. Mm-hmm. Um, and on a very sweet note dedicated a lot of them to her sons Aww. and would use her sons' names as the boy heroes. Aww. So that's very sweet and I wanted to include that. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, she also... We don't have lots of information in terms of where she was finding these stories. So as far as I can tell... It's not like she is recording these from older members of the community or whatever. I don't think that she's actually a folklorist by trade necessarily. I think more than anything she's an author. And if I'm right, everything that we have about it comes after her. Um, So Briggs is a little bit after. Um, So I just think that there is a potential that Miss Saxby invented mm. it, which mm-hmm. is fine. <laughs> you know, it's still a very fun horror tale, and the whole 
monstrous blob eating people mm-hmm. is a fairly <laughs> classic thing. So it it doesn't have to matter one way or the other. But I think it's just a fair thing to note. Yeah. We can't seem to it's not like it's in child's yeah. work, as exactly. far as we can tell. Um not that it's very much his kind of folklore anyway. Yeah. <laughs> it's but, um, it's a strange one. But yes. Um, yeah. So that's her, basically, I think. Mm-hmm. Author and um especially about Shetland. Mm. So it could be real, uh, as in a real piece of folklore. Uh, it just could not be. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I would be interested to know if anyone who is actually from Shetland mm-hmm. uh, knows about it or has been told about it or you know, whether this is actually a thing that exists in the sort of folk memory of like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something that you would hear if you grew up in Shetland because the the sources online it's like really really hard to find anything yes about this um at one point I resorted to asking chat GPT mm-hmm. and after some wrestling with it about what exactly um I was looking for <laughs> um it eventually told me like and take all this with a grain of salt, but I just wanted to report it in case anyone has the resources to go looking for more about this and wants to. Um, but, you know, this this chatbot could be completely lying. Making, just flying. <laughs> um, but basically, it claims that it's mentioned on the website Shetlopedia, uh, which I don't think exists anymore. <laughs> um says it has a mystery. Yeah, maybe. Um, it also said you can find a mention of it in passing in a book called The Lore of Scotland, A Guide to Scottish Legends by Sophia Kingsill and Jennifer Westwood. Um, and then it claims later on um that it might be in the folklore of Shetland by James R. Nicholson and correctly says that it's in a dictionary of fairies by Catherine Briggs. Mm-hmm. Um, I did try checking these books. I tried to find online versions of the books that it mentioned. I searched I searched them and it said that there was no mention of the bullness, but you know, that doesn't mean that there's not, because that section might not be in the book, but mm-hmm. just just to like be clear <laughs> I don't know <laughs> um yeah and then it said that shetland.org mentions it in an article um I couldn't find that article um and it thinks that there might be a description of it on the website spooky isles and I didn't have time to check that one but yeah <laughs> mm-hmm. basically uh We've done our best with researching this one, and if there's anyone from Shetland that knows, like, more about it, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> and also, we'd love to hear from you. Um. Yeah, that too, but, like... <laughs> yeah, definitely apologies, but if you know more, tell yeah. us. Um, and, I mean, even 
ask the people who told you where they heard it. Let's see if this is actually a real piece of folklore. Yeah. Um, not to give you homework. It's <laughs> just a suggestion. Um, I have no authority to give you this work. Yeah. But it would be fun to know. Yeah. Yeah. So, let's, jumping into our first impressions of this story. <laughs> mm-hmm. My first impression, and although this is like, this is not possible given like the supposed time period that we're talking the origin of the story my first impression was it's a plastic bag blowing in the wind <laughs> do you ever feel <laughs> yeah. yeah um oof, that's outdated as a cultural reference anyway um yeah it's hard to think of a, a formless white thing that's kind of slimy and strange Mm-hmm. and not fairly easily go it's either fog or plastic um, yeah and, yeah I mean have you ever when there's like a gale blowing and there's a plastic bag blowing about it sometimes slaps against your window for a bit <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. or even yeah. you know after it rains and you see them in the street they look horrifying yeah you know I'm not suggesting that that's what it is because no, you no. know plastic bags weren't around but I I just think it's funny as like a modern reader to be like, oh yeah, (laughs) plastic bag. (laughs) You know, it could be. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I was also thinking it kind of reminds me of ghost stories, like just Mm. the average, oh, it's a formless humanoid shape that wishes me ill. Like, that's, that's just a ghost story. Yeah, there's definitely... There's definitely um, ghost stories out there about, like, vague blobs of things. Mm. Yeah. I mean, my first kind of serious thought about about the story was that um, it maybe kind of resonates uh, with the general sort of fear of the unknown. Mm -hmm. And my first thought on that was that in the actual story itself about the man and burying it and the boy, um, there's not ever any proof that it actually means anyone any harm until the very end. Mm. And, you know, it was it just knocked on your door in a sort of unpleasant way and you're like, <laughs> I need to kill it. <laughs> Axe to the head for you. <laughs> and if we were to... Um, treat it as if it was a real animal mm-hmm. uh, you don't really know whether it's trying to harm you whether it's just scared whether it's trying to communicate something to you and then you attack it and then probably quite rightly when you go and try and interfere with it again it attacks back mm. there's not really any proof that it's evil except of course um, we're supposed to we're definitely supposed to assume that it's that like it we're supposed to confirm that this is a thing that is of evil and of the devil when um the boy's prayer gets it to go away yeah that's the kind of that's for me like the only textual thing within the story that is like okay we're we're confirming that it's evil there's definitely that there's also i think 
if I remember right. Yes, when it uh, taps on the window, it's because the, the man, the boy's father, I, I think the story says. Yeah, um, he's reading his Bible. Yeah, so it's like and I'm interrupting you and I can, you know, yeah. be banished with prayer. We're definitely supposed to read between the lines of traditional yeah. fairy and devil association. And, and the fact that he has his Bible in hand when he attacks it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I suppose my, my thought when I said it's the only thing mm-hmm. is more to look at it from a, this man might have understood misunderstood what happened. The sure. only sort of definitive... Um, if you imagine that this was like an account of what really happened to someone, mm. the only kind of definitive thing for me that couldn't be like muddied by um, the teller's interpretation of it would be that it went away when with the prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's definitely the strongest implication of it being evil. Um, I think a lot of kind of urban horror that we have nowadays you'd have thrown in that some people had disappeared over the last few months and yeah basically that would, that would be your introductory context so there was no doubt that there was a monster prowling the community and mm-hmm. um, yeah yeah so back to the kind of because i always like to find ways in which um, I, I always like to ask why does this resonate with people why is this being told mm. um, so back to sort of the fear of the unknown uh, I did like some cursory little research um, and as is kind of you know the natural assumption uncertainty about a situation can be really paralyzing mm-hmm. and when we feel like we have no information on a situation and we can't prepare mentally or physically um that causes a lot of stress and it's like causes more stress than knowing that a harmful thing will happen but knowing exactly what it is um Mm -hmm. but even knowing like so knowing what the harmful thing would be doesn't help the stress if you don't know whether or not it will happen um so in multiple studies it's been shown that participants experience more stress when there is a 50 percent chance they'll receive an electric shock versus when there's a hundred percent chance mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so i was thinking the boneless has this kind of this element in the sense that there's an assumption that it will cause harm but there's also no defining characteristics of it that yeah. would suggest what that harm would be and how you can prepare for it or mm-hmm. um deal with it after the fact and with the sort of description of the interactions with it uh, I was kind of thinking well is anxiety of the unknown suffocating is it nauseating like nauseating is it like a blanket that descends upon you clouding Mm. your judgment something that you can't really see clearly out of um yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah you know it's just fear um generally yeah Um, and definitely uncertainty is something that our human brains struggle with massively we hate it very much um yeah but yeah it's an 
That's an interesting idea. It's a kind of and you know that it's it's away from home. It kind of also then feels like when ships get surrounded by fog in a storm and the soldiers mm. the soldiers the sailors <laughs> um you know there's hallucinations or ghosts or they hear voices or what it's kind of the same idea that you're being cut off from the world around you yeah as well you're just it's you and the fear and nothing else yeah and the, there's that insulating blanket that stops any one coming to help you yeah i was thinking you know i do find like the description of from the boy's perspective when it's on him mm-hmm. i find that to be the most sort of disturbing part but mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but generally i was like oh, it doesn't creep me out that much it's not that scary but i think there's probably it's probably something to do with the atmosphere of where the story is told and you need to be in the right setting and yes. that sort of thing and particularly if we're talking about an island community I wonder if back in the day when communication and travel was harder mm. that particular idea of being cut off um, mm-hmm. and surrounded and even more potent yeah yes yes and I think actually that's something that possibly we're even more prey to now. Mm. Think about how difficult it is if your friend is like five, ten minutes late. You send them a text. Mm-hmm. You expect them to reply. Yeah. Say your friend has lost their phone. You'll just be like, my friend is maybe dead. <laughs> yeah. And it's not coming. There's no way they're coming because they're late and I haven't heard anything. Yeah. yeah they, I think because communication now for us is so instant and so expected Mm. I think actually stories like this if we were experiencing them Mm. would be even more horrifying for us like this generation I think we would cope considerably worse (laughs) probably especially like it's a like technology and our access to it's a double-edged sword Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but there's a lot of situations where in many ways, I cope better than, um, say, my parents because I have the technological yeah. literacy to be like, oh, immediately I'm gonna, I know where to find resources about this sure. online mm-hmm. to help me. Yes. But if I don't have an internet connection, yeah, I have very little reason to remember things that can help me because they're mm-hmm. always at my fingertips. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely, and I. It's it just it's surprising how much we take that communication for granted and that our communities now very much are online instead of physical. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we don't know our neighbours, we don't know the people down the street in the way that people used to. Um, and I wonder if it's also some of why we're losing the style of folklore if that makes sense Mm. you know we always talk about the different variations of the story now you don't really get that you get the one story written down yeah and that's it immortalized you don't have that 
space for retelling a story just for yeah. your community. You don't really have a small group that you're all connected with that you'll be telling ghost stories with and you're adapting it because mm-hmm. oh this one bit of a story really bothers my friend so the next time we're telling ghost stories I'm going to heighten that bit yeah. and emphasize it and this will be more fun for the community because we all know what we're talking about and we all know that I'm teasing this one person mm-hmm. you don't have that now yeah and even when things are reproduced and circulated and told again it's it's so so fleeting that it just doesn't matter Mm. um sort of who has the kind of and and also so uh impersonal it's sort of who has the motivation to remember a specific sort of funny trend or funny meme cycle from a few years ago Mm. like no one because your social media is already providing you with a new one Mm -hmm. and you don't need to remember these things yourself you don't need to interpret them yourself like I've definitely done it a few times when I've told people about things that oh I know that I saw this and can't remember but here's the gist of it but it's just so fleeting and so globalized and so um, impersonal that it kind of it just doesn't stick mm-hmm. yeah and it's a really interesting time um, I think especially even for ghost stories like I have no idea we've aged out of this and I'm a big baby in terms of horror stories <laughs> anyway but there's now so many you can just find online you'll just look at creepypasta mm. You're not going to really be inventing these and creating these you yourself because it's all just there. You can just go and read it. Yeah. It's definitely... It's interesting because you think about sort of the Slender Man moment Mm -hmm. (laughs) where one original person created like... I saw. I think it was a fo- a doctored photograph and maybe like a short. Uh, I think it was a sort of pseudo news article, mm. and that exploded, and everyone all over the place is creating stuff for this, and all of a sudden, some people do believe it's real, and that is an interesting one because it seemed in a way like an explosion of a kind of collective drive to create folklore Mm. around a specific character um but i don't think there's ever been anything to the same level since and i think the online space has changed so much that it doesn't as much support that kind of Mm. uh creation yeah i think more and more there are small niches and it's harder for something to have that kind of universal pull yeah um yeah definitely but it is interesting that we've all just adopted Slenderman Um, yeah and that again it almost has the same kind of boneless shapely shapeless ghost feel to it it's just again this strange white thing yeah that you feel like very much as ominous and intends you harm yeah 
it's the sort of the lack of a face, the inability to read any sort of expression or intent. It's it's just an evolutionary advantage if you when you can't read intent, you assume the worst. Yeah. Because it means that you run. Yeah. Or you get ready to fight. You you are doing something to defend yourself. Whatever that is. Um, but I think it very much plays into what you were saying at the beginning with the idea of the fear of the unknown. Mm-hmm. On some level, the biggest unknown we have to face is do you want to kill me or not? Yeah. Um, you know, that's a lot less present for us nowadays in our nice civilized society where you know actually this is some of the least violent periods of history Mm -hmm. um in terms of like numbers of wars and things even if it doesn't feel that way but that's still something our subconscious is asking and is processing Mm -hmm. and is thinking about um yeah and i think there's quite a lot of um modern stories uh, which are correct, um, but they sort of follow, they like teach the moral of don't be mean and aggressive to something just because you don't understand it. Mm-hmm. And just because you don't understand it doesn't justify any of that behavior. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing just because you can't understand it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, very right, a very worthy moral but you can see how that kind of behavior is baked into our nature and it's almost like the the instinct in itself is not really good or bad because um it led us to surviving it favors survival if you kind of assume the worst and always run away mm. um but in the kind of world where we're mostly safe and sometimes we come across things we don't understand which are going to be no threat it then becomes kind of maladaptive because we react poorly to a situation that could have been resolved if we just stayed calm (laughs) Mm. Mm -hmm. and i think also that's the kind of moral that shifts a lot depending on the environment that you're telling it in Mm -hmm. i think um basic kid stories are still probably very much going to say run away from the big scary thing that mm. you don't understand that's I think always going to be a decent moral to give to children mm-hmm. when you are examining that through the lens of this is a story for older kids or it's almost more of a discussion type film mm-hmm. you know it's it's trying to leave you with questions then the point of asking what is our instinctual response is that the right thing to do mm-hmm. could we solve this in a much more peaceful way um, you know you you need both of the sides of the story in different times mm-hmm. yeah it kind of so slightly back on to the um uh what if like some of the sightings of the boneless like what would be some possible real sightings definitely like jellyfish washed up on a beach 
Um, Jellyfish is scary. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'll never forget um, this one time when I was quite little. I was with my cousin on a beach. We were both quite little. Um, and as we were children, we were still learning empathy. <laughs> And there was lots of jellyfish all over the place. And uh, he hit one with his plastic spade, mm. um, hit it. And I, I very distinctly saw something inside of it break. Ooh. And oh, I just... Gosh. And I just oh. been haunted by it because I feel so bad for the jellyfish <laughs> if it was still alive. And, but it also goes to show that um it's kind of especially if you're a child and you're still like learning it's quite hard to have empathy for something faceless that doesn't have anything to it that you can relate to mm. Mm. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that really got me Thank you. <laughs> um. I also think, especially jellyfish and anything kind of like it, the texture and the way that they move mm. is so strange. And it's so different to the way that we move, to the way that other mammals move. Yeah. It, you know, it's why something that horror films know and do so easily. You want to put people off? You just make people walk in a slightly weird way. Mm. They'll be a bit too stilted or a bit too loose or a bit too fast or a bit too slow. Mm. And our alert just says there's something wrong here. Yeah. This is bad and uncomfortable and unsafe. Yeah. And jellyfish absolutely <laughs> activate that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I was reading recently about how our brain kind of operates on a simplified version of the laws of physics for example mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um so when certain laws that your brain understands are broken it causes an immense like feeling of unease mm. um but there's others that you can break quite easily without someone noticing so for example this particular article was about art history and mm. There are so many ways that you can draw a shadow wrong and nonsensically. Mm. An example being like a carpet shadow that just goes straight across the floor. And if there's an object in the way of the shadow, the shadow doesn't go up the object. It goes under the object like a carpet. Mm -hmm. And painters do this all the time, sometimes because they just don't want to distract from other things in the image. Okay. They don't want the shadow to distract, that sort of thing. But your brain doesn't register it as wrong. Mm. And so there's things you can get away with that won't cause that sense of unease. But we have a clear, we, we probably because like we're social creatures and this is what's more important to us. We have a clear thing in our brain of what is a, what's a normal way that people and animals and things around us look and act mm. and how they express themselves. And when something to do with that is off, that's when it triggers this very upsetting uh, reaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially, um, 
the physicality of the way that it's described and it's smelling like rotten rotting flesh and that in mm. the story again yes the point of something rotting is that you're supposed to not go anywhere near it you, you need to get away from it as quickly as you can um, yeah it's not good for you to be there yeah or for that thing to be there it's probably going to make you ill um mm-hmm. You know, this fear is always a defensive reaction. It doesn't mean that it's the correct one or that it's very useful. Um, but it very much is defensive. And yeah. there's there's a reason that we have all of these instincts. And mm-hmm. it's something that horror stories capitalize on. Yeah. Because they're an instinct and they're so strong. Yeah. And it can be, I think, sometimes the way it's used can be quite dangerous or harmful because sometimes it feels like they're capitalizing on maybe um sort of the way people with certain disabilities would move and act Mm -hmm. um which yeah just that's wrong (laughs) you're making life worse for these people you're not promoting empathy when there is kind of a very real sort of section of this reaction that is not related to that, for example, something that's human but not quite human mm. is a dead person. Yes. And it would, you would do, if you stumbled across a corpse, you'd do quite well to stay away from it because very that's so. whatever killed it could be around or it might be diseased. Mm hmm all manner of bacteria, you know, it it serves us well. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, yeah, not so much a problem with this thing because it's definitely not human. <laughs> it's just a blob. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I think it goes to show how sort of, how powerful the kind of, the uncanny valley effect can be. Mm-hmm. How powerful... Um, our sense of the the known and the unknown and our fear of what we don't know can be. Um, but I would say don't attack jellyfish unless they're mm-hmm. attacking you and <laughs> there's nothing else to do. Yeah, I think overwhelmingly self-defense. Fair enough. Fair enough. You know, just don't be the aggressor. I think that's a solid... Uh, moral yeah in all times and places there's just no need <laughs> yeah unless you're 100 percent sure it's the boneless from shetland 100 percent sure okay yeah and then maybe you can throw an axe at it possibly maybe <laughs> but don't then let your son run off after it no okay take care of your kids <laughs> thank you <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to the folklore scotland podcast we'll be back every week with more folkloric content from stories to analysis the podcast is brought to you by folklore scotland the charity that aims to make scottish folklore accessible using digital platforms telling the tales of the past with the technology of today 
If you'd like to become a voluntary contributor or would like to get in touch, pop us an email at info at folklorescotland.com and you can find all of our social media as well as a list of sources in the show notes below. The charity also now has a Ko-fi page which you can find in the show notes if you would like to help us continue the work that we do. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.